All right, Jack. Um, so uh, we have a couple election mm. caucuses underway, and we are now fully into election season. I was thinking today we could talk about election security a little bit. I love it. I mean, it's a question we get a lot, right? We get it from an operational perspective, uh, Secretary of State's offices, CIO's offices, the states and local authorities we deal with, you know, have a lot of concerns and they're really invested in understanding what's going on. They're looking at visibility. Um, and I think that a lot of our audience is typically thinking about the operational concerns to ensure that the franchise is maintained, right? That people's votes get counted. Um, but what I'm seeing is that the risks from data. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to use the right words. The risks from data are very different, perhaps, than the ones they're worried about. And I think you and I have both had a lot of conversations with folks over the last, you know, literally the last couple of months about how the landscape of cybersecurity is changing from the traditional keep people out to something very different. So, and I know you've you've talked with a whole bunch of folks. Um, more more than I've got fingers in my to- fingers and toes for people that are responsible for. Uh, elections for various states. Um, like, what do you what like? What's the most common thing you're hearing? The term I hear most is disinformation, right? And and I know you know we we have done a lot of work with organizations that care about making sure the votes are counted. But what we're finding is that the leaders that we deal with that you have all these relationships with are concerned before the vote is ever cast that a lot of cybersecurity concerns are related to the way that people are using new technologies, you know, generative AI, robo-dialers, what have you, to change the mindset of the people who are, who are anxious to cast their votes, right? And so I think that this is a really interesting topic for, for, for Pone today because we're talking about cybersecurity that isn't keeping hackers out. It's cybersecurity about helping organizations maintain their vigilance that their voting public is getting the right kinds of information. It's really an interesting topic. <clears throat> um, the whole like information disinformation mm. thing, concept, idea. Um, I've seen it come up more in the last 12 months. Um, and, and not not just pertaining to elections, but just uh, in cyber overall. Um, Having to do with uh, information from whatever medium, whatever avenue it's being collected um, as an early indication as to what might happen and the response that subsequently follows after it. Mm. Right? And that's everything from like dark web monitoring to um, you know monitoring social media for uh, maybe something that looks like a threat or maybe something that looks like an imminent type of attack. Um, all of these things, all of these campaigns, um, in, in information campaigns, uh, seem to be a little bit more at the forethought of mm. people. And I think it has to do with the cybersecurity technology landscape has now gotten to the point where it started to inventory this type of information and make sense of it for its consumers as an indication whether something may or may not happen. Now, can't say it's always accurate, and sometimes it's a little bit of a like a chicken little type of scenario or a little bit of a cry wolf. But but still, it's kind of one of those things like people like to know it, um, like like to know like what's being said, what information's out there. What's um what's interesting is um 
but I'm curious what you think about this, Jack, and what your opinion on it is. So um, there was an article that came out in the AP News. Hmm. Um, the title of this is Judge, Judges Order Order Limits Government Contact with Social Media Operators Raises Disinformation Question. And in short, the summary of the article is federal judge in Louisiana um, has uh, initiated um, this ruling, it looks like, um, that limits how officials can interact with social media platforms and it's basically saying like you you can't you can't influence social media platforms like whatever they are they are right right and so i'm kind of curious like hearing that and directionally like where seems like where we're headed at the moment here how does like how does that make you feel i find that that entire space, I actually read about the case earlier on, just because it's like right in the wheelhouse of this whole discussion of election security. So the judge in Louisiana says, hey, everybody in government, stop calling social media people and tell them that this thing was, and tell, and tell them to stop publishing things they think are false, right? And this came about for any number of political reasons. But the idea is that the government should not exert undue or unasked for pressure on social media companies to block certain types of content. So this is happening at exactly the same time where really brilliant people like uh, Jen Easterly, who's at CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, maybe? I'm gonna get that wrong. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Hey, 10 points, Google, thank you. Um, anyway, but, uh, but Jen's brilliant and she's out there and she's talking about trying to help organizations ensure that they're not subjecting their voters to misinformation, right? And so the judge is saying, government, don't tell them it's disinformation and stop publishing it. And Jen is out there trying to raise awareness that disinformation can happen. And I think we have a real collision here, right? There are people who are saying it's free speech, but if it's free speech and it's disinformation, meh, right? And if it's, if it's not disinformation, but it's free speech, how do you tell the difference? Who's the arbiter of truth? I think this is such a societal question above and beyond the fact that it's a cybersecurity question. If I look back in time, <clears throat> right, you look at all the elections that have occurred, even way back to our like founding fathers, yep. um, this whole idea of like slander statements, disinformation. Yellow journalism. It existed way way back then, and yep. Um, but then it was like like paper pamphlets you were handing out about like so and so is like uh is like a womanizer, and like and right. if you do this, like our nation's gonna fall into debt and despair, and like um just all of these negative claims. And I think what we're seeing is um not that it's a new tactic is the platform of reach is different, right? And we've gone from handing out pamphlets to like way back in like the 1800s to um, newspapers to television commercials. And now we're into the world of social media. And I think it feels, um, it feels sensationalized. And I think it is just because of this reach of social media, but it's nothing different than we've been dealing with for the last, 200 some odd years. Okay, so this is one of those great occasions where our listeners get to hear you and I not necessarily agree. I'm not gonna say we're disagreeing, right? But we're not necessarily agreeing. 
I think the difference here is that there is a certain vulnerability of the media consuming public to the technologies that lend credibility to statements, whether by individuals or with manufacturers, statistics or what have you, where they will believe what they're reading because it has a level of depth and a level of authority it really shouldn't have. So 1860, I say, Justin Finlay says, unicorns can fly, right? And so somebody goes, wow, that Justin, he's a little out there. And somebody goes, hey, Viking, can they fly? And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Right, and it goes away, right? If on the other hand, it's now 2024, and there is a video of Justin Finlay casually ensconced in his office saying, and after long thought, I want you to know my analysis yields the result that unicorns can fly. Nobody's going to ask you if you believe it because it looks like you just said it, right? In deep <laughs> face, facial monitoring, the capacity to reconstruct voice, all of it. I think it lends a level of credibility to it. We saw this in New Hampshire, right? There was a massive pushback because evidently there was a robocalling campaign that was fairly you know, widely used that sounded like the president, President Biden, saying, don't vote. Voting only supports Republican interests, so don't vote. Trying to suppress the vote. That sounded like, I didn't get it, I don't live in New Hampshire, but it sound, evidently it sounded like the president. It sounded like the president delivering a canned message for his supporters about what to do and what not to do. And that's, I, to me, that's different than the guy in the corner going, extra, extra, Justin likes unicorns. You know, it's, it's different because it has a sense of credibility and people have this artificial sense of intimacy and confidence in the devices we deal with, the data. And so I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, in the course of, and we're having a great discussion, but in the course of Pwned and, and for our listeners, how do you help your voters, your constituents, your friends, better understand and better apply a healthy level of skepticism to what they're seeing without just completely disconnecting from the media that's going to help them understand what's going on? People have concerns about connected elections, right? Mm -hmm. uh, election machines being connected to the internet um, and everything that comes with it. We have concerns about uh, uh, social information on social media, concerns about disinformation. Mm -hmm. Would you ever see a scenario where people are just like, you know what? F it. Let's go back to 1930, right? Like I'm saying like as a practice – um, we're not going to listen to what's on social media. We're going to pull all of our election machines off of the intertubes. And uh, if you want to hear someone's opinion, you got to show up in person. You got to hear it out of their mouth. And by the way, you actually have to show up and you're going to hand it to whomever is tallying votes and they're going to tally a manual paper vote. Do you think that will ever happen? No. And I don't think it can. Right. As someone who is reluctantly dragged into the 21st century, right, there is a, a sense of the empowerment of technology that this allows people who might not get out of their homes, might want, not want to leave their homes, who might not have a lot of interaction outside their homes. Right. We want them to vote. Their vote matters. Right. So how do they learn about things? Right. They learn about things through their phones or through the wires, through the intertubes. Right. So I think instead we have to do a better job of helping people to better judge the credibility of um, the information sources that they're taking in. 
And I don't mean this one's good, this one's bad, because I think that's kind of hopeless, right? Because any conspiracy theorist will say, Jack's only saying that because he's anti-unicorn, right? It's just like crazy, right? So, but I think we have to say, before you believe it, do a secondary level of research. You know, you and I talk about this often. You know, I go to multiple sources before I believe anything. You know, I'll read different perspectives from different style of papers in different sections of the world to try to get a truthful perspective on what's happening. One of the unique benefits of what we do for a living is that we can actually help people, you know, to aggregate that and do it. And I think that eventually we'll evolve to a point in an electoral system where media centers are valued for the capacity to provide that synthesized view without necessarily all the, the political vitriol. So I don't see us going back to that. And frankly, though, what I would like to see us, if I can go back to sort of like our core value here as Poem, is that I'd like to see the companies who manufacture the software, the elections materials, online perhaps electioneering in time, I'd like them to take more seriously the transparency of whether they were secure or not. Um, when we were talking earlier, I took a little bit of time to take a look at the AP, and there's actually a discussion on the AP about uh, potential breaches in the software that supports the elections. Right now, we know this in 2020. There was a lot of meow, 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 horrible software, which wasn't, which is adjudicated to not be true, perfectly fine. But you know, there was a, there was actually a quote in one of the articles that I read, Justin, that said. Um, Every time we retrieve a lost copy of the stolen source code, we reduce the exposure and vulnerability of these systems. It's, it bespeaks an absolute lack of understanding of the way that technology works, right? If it was stolen, and I had this discussion, um, there was an attack many years ago for our historical readers, and I'm sure Justin, you already know about it, but there was an attack called Titan Rain that happened years and years ago, where the source code was stolen for so many things, including air control software, military guidance system software, etc. And uh, I got a lot of questions at the time saying, well, they're stealing software, you know, what's going on? I'm like, well, as the guy who built the company that analyzes software for vulnerability, I'm figuring they know how to turn it off now, right? They, they, by stealing the source code, they understand how to manipulate it in a way that is productive for their ends. I'd like us, Instead of hoping that we go back to people showing up in buggies with horses, filling up paper cards, that instead we say, we are te technically advanced. Our technologies are solid. We understand how to make these things secure. And we're going to create a system that you can trust is secure. And here's how. And it's not going to be like, uh, I'm going to talk to you about blockchain, you know, and you know, you're busily doing some other kind of job. You couldn't care less about blockchain. We're just going to say, trust us, it's protected. And all these smart people say, it's protected, and everybody just believes it. It's the same way that people trust a fiat currency like the dollar. It's the same way that we trust the electricity is going to arrive on time. Same way we trust them to go to a restaurant, we're not going to get poisoned. So I want to support what you were saying, which is that people would love to go back to a tangible system they can trust. And what I'd argue for as cybersecurity professionals, we should be moving to a system which is transparent enough and understandable enough that people feel the same sense of comfort from it. Do mm. you think we'll ever get there? <laughs> wow, that is a great question. I think there is a natural human... So, actually, you asked me a simple question. Think we'll ever get there? 
Yes. Now, I think we are a long way from it because I think there's a natural human predilection to believe in conspiracies. And if people don't understand how something works and the result of the way something works is something they don't like, they're going to assume that they were duped. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if you were to ask me the same question, um, I think it's going to take a different approach. Mm. A non a non-traditional approach for I like uh, this. By, Let's go. By, by US standards. Um I th- think my opinion is that um it would have to be a different type of technology and that I think we've seen or has been permissible uh for for election tallying, right? And I think for me I I always go back to the the Estonia voting or uh, oh, election yes. platform. Yep. Um and it's um for the record, if the team hasn't read about it, read about Estonia, an e-enabled, incredibly advanced theory of how to apply this type of technology to finance government, your interactions, all of it. So Estonia, I'm glad you brought it up, Justin. I haven't thought about it in a couple of years. Yeah, we um. So I wrote, so I, I wrote an article on it, um, and it was basically breaking down how the Estonia election system works, um. And in short, uh, basically what they use is a um, asymmetric key pairing mm-hmm. to cast votes. Um, in order to make it go, it requires that everybody basically have an ID card, uh, like a like a state sponsored ID card that uh, looks like a smart card. You uh, plug it into a reader, um, and that basically represents your half of the key. Um, and then you cast your vote um, and you can prove that it's the vote hasn't been tampered with and there's a non-repudiation aspect to it as well. Nice. Um, the challenge that I think we face is one, we're like, I don't know, like 10 times bigger, like way, way bigger than Estonia. Um, I think um, I think coming back to your point about the conspiracy theorists um, would – I think there'd be a natural hesitation for a population of of our users to sign up for an ID card for the purposes of this and other consumption of government services, right? And they're just saying, like, listen, this is one more thing that the government's using to monitor me. Um, But until we can get to the point where people kind of embrace the technology that allows them to plug into um, a, a services platform, constituent services platform um and I, I think we're gonna we're gonna always be in the same spot just for the record i think that's beautiful and the reason i think it's beautiful is because what you're suggesting is that we acknowledge the fact that people are going to have a hard time getting over that hump but ultimately if they don't well they're going to stay on the other side right yeah the the estonian model right, using public-private in order to make these things sort of non-repudiable, these interactions, it makes perfect sense. And at some point in time, people just have to believe, right? Honestly, they just believe in so many things right now, right? The idea that this would provide a new mechanism for the government or industry or picket 
I don't, I don't want to get political, to track them when they all have their cell phones 24 by 7. It's, it's, to me, it's just like, I don't understand you. I don't understand. But it's because we as a population, no. We as technologists in the population don't insist that the hoi polloi understand how this crap works, right? That yeah. carrying your phone everywhere, guess what? Everyone knows where you are all the time based on the ping interval of the triangulation for the cell towers you're connected to. So I know where you are absolutely every minute of every day you have a cell phone with you, period. Yeah. Now, if you think that's intrusive, well, congratulations, you're paying for that intrusivity, right? And to your point, if we could get them to understand that this is a way to feel more comfortable with the authenticity, the inviolability of the franchise, of their vote, maybe, you know, they'd be, they'd be more comfortable trusting the outcomes of purchases or elections or opinions or subscriptions that arise from their interaction with the system that now they understand a little bit better. Yeah. Dude, I love that. I mean, if you, I mean, for me, if I could wave a magic wand, it's one combination of a new election technology platform. It's one part transparency and kind of education, uh, election education awareness, kind of similar to what we have with like security awareness, but for elections. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the third part it would be, um, is almost like uh, nutritional facts for uh, our politicians, right? Whereas like, they're like, listen, I haven't been following any of like the elections and I don't know what anybody stands for because by the way, I'm pretty friggin' busy and I kind of only half care, but I know I need a vote. Um, so we show up at a polling center and like, what's, what's something that looks like it's a, um, kind of a neutral download of the candidates that are running that looks like nutritional facts, right? Like here's like, here's what they voted on. Yeah. Clear, clear, concise terms. Like what, what do these politicians stand for? Right. And like at a glance, you can scan down through like their nutritional facts and say, okay, like I'm looking for, I don't know, whatever it is like immigration or economy or like whatever, like sure. I'd like to see changes here. One person has one, is a don't. Like maybe, like at a glance, like I'm gonna cast my vote this way. I'm I am completely digging this, and only in the way that I can at this point in the podcast think about it. We should really put together like an article on how to realign elections to a technology savvy population, and recognizing that's 15 percent of the population. How do we expose it transparently and authentically to the other 85 percent of the people? So we create an entire population who understands the value of the franchise, the work that's being done to protect it, and the basically the viability, the truthfulness in the votes as they're cast and consumed. Because nobody's doing that. Everybody's making money off of making everybody not trust. And maybe maybe that's a good pwned output is you and I come up with a new vision for this, the same way you did for better ways to do insurance. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the idea. You and I also have like a million other things <laughs> that we're working on and doing. So, so bad for each other. <laughs> yeah, but this, that, that was very inspiring, right? The capacity to generate that style of, of transparency, which inspires confidence. That's what we lack. 
nobody's bothering to express to people the fact that their their vote is counted and trusted. Everybody's trying to defend why their vote wasn't stolen. It's a very, very different equation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like That's cool. So we're talking about cybersecurity elections. I think there's a lot of great work getting done. I know that Jen Easterly is working hard at CISA to help people understand how this all maps out. We know that there's a lot of really smart people in state and local government who are making sure that the votes get counted and that the texture of that environment is changing from being make sure people don't get in and change votes to make sure that people aren't being lied to and convinced that the voting location is the wrong place or they shouldn't vote or that a candidate said something that they never said. And so I think it's a, it's a different style of change for cybersecurity, um, but I think it's one that we can help people understand as well. Uh, it's great. I think, I think we wrap on that. Good for me. All right. Um, if you have um, questions, comments, um, you got topics for the mailbag, you got stuff oh, you want to see thrown into the marketing terms you want to see thrown into the pit of despair, uh, you can find us at pwned.newharborsecurity.com. If you like this episode, please like it. Please share it with all your besties. Let them know we're out here. And uh, that would be swelling and help Jack and, I, Jack and I out a lot. And um, for now, we'll get you on the next episode. <laughs>